Okay, our text this morning is kind of a two-parter. Uh, we're going to look at two different scenes right away, kind of back to back, and each one is similar to the other, and that Jesus extends a call to discipleship, and yet the responses are altogether different. The first one takes place uh, early on in Jesus' ministry. It's recorded for us in the first chapter of Mark's account, beginning with the 14th verse. After John, the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. That's the first scene, and now... Ten chapters later, we come to the second. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is God's word. Jesus calls people to follow him. He gave them a choice, take it or leave it. Come, follow me, he calls. He invites people into a life of discipleship. It is an adventure. It's risky and it's totally upside down. It's the life of a disciple. It's the greatest opportunity that any human being will ever have this side of heaven. It's awesome. It is an opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But the problem now, writes Dallas Willard, is that the word disciple has come to mean so little. Let's define it like this. A disciple is a student, a learner. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's talking about a learning relationship. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is with Jesus and who is learning to be like him. And it's not as easy as it sounds. So one is because Jesus is perfect and we ain't. And secondly, his kingdom is so upside down. It's so opposite of what we would naturally think or say or do. 
There's a question that Jesus asks his listeners right before he tells that story about the wise and the foolish builders. He said, why do you keep on saying that I'm your Lord when you don't do what I say? Now, let's be clear. Doing what Jesus says is not about earning salvation. It's about discipleship. Heaven, free gift, totally free. But discipleship, is one where you work it. Um, it's a lifelong journey of dedicating ourselves to be more and more like Christ. Now, I grew up Lutheran, still am. Many of you are as well. I love the Lutheran church, and I fully understand and appreciate our tradition that emphasizes the dangers of legalism. I know full well that it is by grace that we have been saved by faith, and this is not from ourselves. No, it's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I get it. I got it. Amazing grace, legalism, bad. You don't get salvation by keeping the rules. However, it seems to me that we in the Lutheran Church have greatly underemphasized the opposite danger, which is just as spiritually lethal. You keep on reading that Ephesians passage. It continues, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Oh, snap, would you look at that? If we ignore God's commandments, or if we opt out of God, God's good works for us, or if we choose not to do what Jesus tells us to do, then we could be saved, but we just have to admit that we're very dull students, and we're very wimpy disciples that don't bear much fruit. Now, hear me now. I'm not saying that following Jesus is easy. I'm not saying that learning from Jesus is easy. I'm not saying that putting his word into practice is easy. I'm just saying it's awesome. I'm saying that there's nothing better. I'm saying it's the greatest opportunity that any human being will have this side of heaven. I'm saying it's a great adventure, and Jesus wants you to take it. Follow me, he calls, and you'll never be the same. Learn from me. And fellow classmates, here's the cool thing. Our teacher is with us always. Have you been baptized into Christ's life and his death and his resurrection? If so, that is so great for you. What a great gift that God gave you. That means that you are in Christ and the spirit of Christ lives in you. Never will he leave you. Never will he forsake you. He loves you and he invites you to follow him and grow in your discipleship so that you may have life and have it to the full. God does not leave us empty-handed. Not at all. Our teacher is so good, he gives us educational materials. He puts manipulatives into our hands to work with so that we may experience more of him. These are the gifts that God 
gives to us so that we become more Christ-like and we grow in our discipleship. You want more Jesus in your life? You want more love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? I do. You do too. And so does God. And that's why he gives us gifts in order for us, with his great help, to pull it off. You can take them or leave them. Take the gifts. What gifts? Oh, such as the Bible, God's word to you. Read it daily. God gives you his word so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we would have life in his name. But that's not all. God gives us prayer. We speak to him. We communicate with him. And through the gift of prayer, our relationship with God becomes very honest, and it becomes very real. Prayer is a great gift from God. But that's not all. God gives us the gift of worship. We confess our sins. We receive his grace. We hear a message. We may even learn a little something or two about our lives. We sing his praises. Oh, music is such a great gift. Because there's something about singing his praises that just softens the heart. Worship is a great gift that God gives to us. It's for our benefit. It's for our good. But wait, there's more. God also gives us the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. Christ's body and blood for our forgiveness and the strengthening of our faith. He does not leave us alone. Hardly. He's in us. Oh, but that's not all. <laughs> he gives us the gift of other people. Oh yes, God puts other disciples in your life. Friends, a pastor, or a community group, or a spouse, or teachers, or parents. God gives you people to be Jesus to you in order to bring you Jesus, to bless you, or to get you back on track, or to remind you, or to encourage you, or to lead you, or comfort you, and help you become more like Jesus. What a gift. But wait, there's more. He gives you the gift of forgiving one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, forgiveness is what he does best. Forgive your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How upside down is that? It is. That's how the Lord forgave us. And the more you forgive, the more you grow in discipleship. It's a great gift, and so is serving. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know, oh, you know it. If you've ever pitched in at Messiah or at night to shine, you know, listen, church, listen, just listen to some of these thank yous. Oh, I'm going to read you just a few. We attended the prom last year, and we attended the virtual and drive-through this year. Thank you so much for doing this in freezing cold weather. We can't 
thank you enough. Here's the line of love. You made our boys night. You guys always make him feel so special. Here's another one. With all our hearts, with all our hearts, we thank you so much. My daughter has been so sad with everything that is going on and kept asking about the dance. She was so happy tonight. You guys did an amazing job. Bless all of you. Heart emoji. Here's another one. My daughter had such a great time last night. She was so excited to find out that we were in line behind her boyfriend. They jumped out and got a dance in. Thanks again. Just one more. Just wanted to once again tell all of you, thank you so much for what you do for these folks. As like every other year, it was magnificent and a major miracle pulling it off during this pandemic. Being out in frigid temperatures could not have been much fun, but they sure seem to be enjoying themselves. May God bless each and every one of you. Wow, church. <laughs> yeah! Thank you for serving and thank you for giving tonight to shine. What a blessing. See, that's what it feels like. That's what generosity looks like. It's fun to do good works. It's for us. It's a great gift from God. But wait, there's more. Last one, giving. And that's the one where I think we have the most trouble putting it into practice. It seems so upside down. It's not the way we naturally think. Giving, tithing offering. It's a great gift, but it's the one that we tend to avoid. I think Bob Goff's quote is spot on. He said, I've spent my whole life avoiding the experiences Jesus said he would use to help me grow. <laughs> that is kind of amazing to me because although I don't know Bob Goff Personally, but I'll tell you from everything I've read or heard him say, I personally think that that guy seems to be the guy who really gets discipleship. But apparently even Bob Goff messes it up. A fact we all have, and we all do. And like Peter, you know, one minute we're, we're walking on water. I've got this. And the next minute, you know it. <laughs> We're drowning. But Jesus always has his hand out because he's always with us. Always. That's sound in the church right there. Today is Jubilee Sunday. It's celebration day. It's one of my most favorite days of the year. Pastor Jim did a great job leading us to this point. Uh, we've been learning about the blessings that come from living a life of generosity. And, and Pastor Jim and I have both said that, um, that this stuff ain't easy, but it's good. In fact, it's great. 
A couple of weeks ago, I spent some time talking about how we should use our head and our hands and our hearts when it comes to giving God's way. We need to use our heads. We need to think. We need to stop and think and plan and do some math. We need to use our heads. And we also need to use our hands. We need to pray. We need to pray for courage to actually pull off tithing and first fruit giving. We have to pray about how we should best manage the money that God put into our hands. Head, hands, and then heart. Today, Jubilee Sunday. It's jubilant Sunday. Joyful Sunday. Cheerful. That's the word for it. That's the word. God loves a cheerful giver. Gifts from the heart are the best gifts of all. And we are instructed to give cheerfully, not under compulsion, not because we feel guilty. No, our gifts come from loving and from very thankful and cheerful hearts. It's a matter of the heart. It's a response to what God has already done for us. Cheerful and thank you. That's what today is all about. And we have all the reason in the world to cheer and to give thanks today. It amazes me how God has worked the good since the last time we met on Jubilee Sunday a little over a year ago. Oh, I know the past year was anything but easy. It was anything but that. Oh, yet and yet God was working the good in all things. Thank you, church, for being open to giving God's way, especially last year. Tithes, pledges, over-the-top offerings, and your church thanks you. We cheer you on. Thank you for risking, for trying, for trusting. The children of Uganda, they thank you, church, for protecting them, protecting their school this year. We spent some money, church. We spent money so we could put a fence around their school. So they thank you for the safety, the education, the food, the clothes, the future. They're very glad we exist, Messiah. They thank you, and so do the children who come to school right here at Messiah Lutheran School each and every day, or they take part in King's Kids, or Confirmation, or Sunday Kids Ministry, or our wonderful bunch of high schoolers. They thank you. What is the faith of the next generation worth? It is worth everything. And I know I already mentioned it, but hey, it's worth saying it again and again and again. Our honored guests and their caregivers, they thank you for making them feel so special at night to shine. What a night. Thank you, Messiah. I love you. We could go on and on and on in all ministry areas, community groups. Yes, and worship, yes, save people, serve people. You know it, host team. Thank you. And speaking of worship, thank you. Thank you. You made it happen. COVID hit, and we were shut down, but not out. The bills got paid, and I got paid. Thank you. Do you know this last week, we had a new roof put on, and we had the money to do it. It's about 15 years ago we should have done it. But we didn't have to get the buckets out this morning. God gave us a nice rainy day. 
and a new roof. Wow! And then several months back, we had the money to go out and plus up and invest in a bunch of new technology that's way behind the scenes so that we could get God's word out. We had to buy cameras and equipment, and then we had to get people who would serve and running all that great technology, and they jumped in, and it's amazing. People from all over the state, all over the country, even all over the world are connected to Jesus through Messiah's online efforts. Thank you. Here's my very favorite picture of the year. Thank you, church. It's amazing how God works the good through you. Justin is one of the very best reasons to cheer and give thanks. That is Justin on the day of his baptism. He came because his wife Cassie started watching our services online at home, and Justin was not interested in that. No way but he overheard the gospel, and eventually he started watching. And now Justin is connected to Christ, and so Justin, thank you. I went out for beers with him a couple of weeks ago, and he's a high school teacher at Timberland. He's a, he's a coach. I said, let's talk about fellowship of Christian athletes. He said, yeah, it doesn't really exist anymore. It kind of fell apart, and he's going to get that thing going. You know Justin's going to impact through the years, potentially thousands of students? What? All because of the camera, because his wife's watching, because you gave money, and because of him, and now thousands of kids in Timberland. God works the good. Here's another one. Let me read this one to you. I can't because it's anonymous sent to Pastor Jim and I this Christmas, but it's a thank you to you. Messiah Lutheran is a team sport, so it's to you. Thank you for leading me back to Jesus and showing me who Messiah is for. Words cannot express my gratitude for the amazing work God is doing through you. May he continue to bless you with the words and wisdom to change more hearts like mine. Looking forward to doing my part in 2021. Many blessings to you. And then here it is. Once lost, now found. A Jesus and a Messiah fan. What is this worth? Once lost, now found. It's worth everything. Cheerful, thankful, all glory to God. The giving is always a matter of the heart. We give because Jesus first gave to us. We're rich because for our sake he became poor. What Jesus has done for us is our heart's motivation. Christ's sacrificial love is so wonderfully upside down. It changes us, and it calls us to something better. It's always something better. I came across this in a book called Seculosity, written by David Zoll. 
And in it, he retells the short story written by the great playwright Langston Hughes in 1958. Only two characters in the story. There's this boy named Roger and a large woman with a large purse named Luella Bates Washington Jones. Luella is walking home late one night when Roger runs up and tries to steal her purse. But before he can get away, Luella grabs the boy and she won't let him go. He's in for it, we think. She seems like the kind of lady people used to refer to as a battle axe. Luella asks Roger why he's trying to snatch her bag. And after telling a couple of lies, which she calls him on, he comes clean. He wanted some money in order to buy some blue suede shoes. Hughes wants us to uh, no, he wants to unburden us of our sympathy for this boy. Because Roger is not acting out of desperation or hunger. No, Roger is acting out of greed. Roger assumes that Luella is getting ready to haul him into jail, but instead she brings him home with her. And she washes his face and she tells him that she knows what it's like to want things that you can't get. Then, instead of a lecture, Luella cooks him a meal, complete with desserts. Her upside-down behavior has a strange effect on Roger. When they entered her apartment, Luella had laid her purse on the daybed where Roger could easily grab it and bolt. But, curiously enough, he finds that he no longer wants to. Instead, he hears himself ask Luella if she needs someone to go to the store and get some milk. She declines, filling his plate again. And the woman did not ask the boy anything about where he lived or his folks or anything else that would embarrass him. Instead, as they ate, she told him about her job in a hotel beauty shop that stays open late at night and what the work was like and how all kinds of women come in, blondes and brunettes and redheads. And then she cut him this enormous slice of cake. Eat some more, son, she said. And when they were finished eating, she got up and said, now here, take this $10 and buy yourself some blue suede shoes. And she led him down the hall to the front door and opened it. Good night. Behave yourself, she said, looking out into the street as he went down the steps. And the boy wanted to say something else other than, thank you, ma'am to Mrs. Luella Bates Washington Jones. But although his lips moved, he couldn't even say that as he turned at the foot of the Baron's stoop and looked up at the large woman in the door. You see, that's the kingdom of God. Roger 
is every one of us. What Roger received from Luella is exactly opposite of what he deserved. He broke the law in no uncertain terms and yet was treated with warmth and welcome and even reward. It's grace is what it is. It's the gospel. And it changes the heart. It changes things. It changes you and me. It's amazing. What brought Jesus to us wasn't our good behavior. It was just the opposite. And yet, here we are on the stoop, looking up at that big old cross. It is so upside down, this kingdom of God. It is so wonderful, this adventure, this invitation to follow him. It is the greatest opportunity that any human being will ever have this side of heaven. God working the good in us and through his grace and through his gifts, it has a strange effect on us disciples. It is a cheerful effect. It is a thankful effect. Amen.